we bless you king of glory because of your love your majesty your highly exalted seated at the right hand of the father you're highly exalted in the trinity your king of glory you stand above the oceans above created visible and invisible things oh lord you stand above the world leaders that we know the greatest that have been claimed lord came and went the hitlers came and went the Mussolini's came and went the, the napoleons came and went my heavenly savior we are here today still ascribing greatness unto you because you're eternal and your word is eternal in e three some manifestation of king of glory come lord and speak unto us through your logos come lord and speak unto us through your rhema encourage your people that are despairing in their walk with you and they need your rhema word and they need your logos or king of glory come lord and take control because of who you are come and be highly exalted you love us my heavenly savior our hearts are fasting for you as a deer panties for the waters of god in the desert Panties for your brooks, O oh Lord. We are panting for you even today. And we pray that, Lord, you shall release us into your holy presence, my King of glory. We are fasting, O oh God, and yearning for you, just like the writer of Psalm 84 says, that blessed are even the bass that have crafted their nests in the rafters by the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, that I desire to be like there to be like them we are praying that we shall thirst for you and you'll be the main thing in our lives O king of glory in jesus mighty name we have prayed and believed amen a blessed day my dear friend wherever you are i want to um uh, really honor the lord and ascribe greatness unto who he is i pray that uh, the lord will uh, have kept you in very good shape by the time you receive this. But even if things are not going well, I just want to assure you that God remains God in every situation and is highly exalted over each and everything. Do not judge God on the basis of the incomplete uh, you know, picture of the things that are happening in your life right now. Your life is a painting that is incomplete right now. It is wrong for you to judge God on the premise of an incomplete painting. When he's finally done with you, you shall actually appreciate the work that he's doing in your life. Our lives are incomplete structures, buildings. You cannot tell their beauty until they're finally done. And that is a message of wisdom that I wanted to begin with. Friend, I know that you have fasted uh, for water before and you feel like you really really uh, desire it to have it in your life at one point or the other you know when we begin fasting uh, for water the one thing that uh, someone can do to punish you is to bar you from getting to this water <laughs> yeah if someone simply says don't give them water they can easily kill you I remember those days when we did um, um, races in school and marathons. The one thing that you want to do is you want to take some water when you're done without running. If someone comes and, and says, don't give them water, they would be as good as a terrorist. You see? So that is what it is. But there is a much more dangerous uh, type of impeding water from you. Uh, that is impeding spiritual water from you. That is much more dangerous than even someone impeding you from accessing uh, this uh, physical water that we have here. That is why Jesus refers to himself as the water of life. Uh, you see the connection now? Yes, that is how it works. Uh, today we are here to speak about, to actually um, kick the doors open on a teaching that is entitled Life in Fasting for the Word of God life in fasting for the word of god but today i essentially intend uh, to let the holy spirit teach us 
what the word of God is. So the subtopic or sub-theme today uh, shall be um, understanding the word of God, understanding the word of God. Oftentimes when we speak of uh, the word of God, uh, what easily comes to our mind is um, uh, basically, you know, the written word. And uh, even then we kind of um, do not perceive it the way that it should be. When we speak of the written word, um, we simply study it for the sake of studying it, and people at times do not give it the sort of attention that it demands. We 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 even know it is written because we've been, you know, reading this since our childhood, and we don't accord it its rightful position. But what I intend to do today is to expound on the true meaning of the word of uh, the Lord, and this will be an immense blessing in our lives. And now, um. There are three um, ways in which the word of God can be, can be understood. Actually, there are three dimensions of the word of God. There are three dimensions of the word of God. Like you look at an egg with a yolk, two, an egg white, and three, a shell, but all of it is, <laughs> I mean, an egg. It, it, it together makes an egg. And that is how the word of God is as well. Now, you're going to permit me use some words from another language uh, because there's no other way of doing it. You'll appreciate and do well to know that the word of God actually wasn't initially written in our languages. It was written one in, in Greek, two in Hebrew, and three a, a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament. Old Testament, Aramaic, and Hebrew, but um, the biggest part, about 95% is Hebrew, and then only about, it doesn't even come to five, but around there in Aramaic. And um, the New Testament was purely written in Greek. Now, you get to a point and you cannot explain certain words until you go back to the original languages. And friends, permit me with humility to do that today, but I'm going to do it so simply that you need help to forget them. They're going to be so easy, so easy. Now, there are three dimensions of the word of God. Um, one is called Rema, and the two are called Logos. Now, the word of God is presented to us as the written word of God, and that is called Logos, and I will explain what that means. But when you go to Logos, it has two dimensions as well. So you just have to understand this. We have two words today. One is called Logos and two, Rema. Now, Logos, in as far as the word of God is concerned, is divided into two um, branches here. One, we speak of Logos as in the mind of God. It is a word that is tapped, um, um, that, 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 that means uh, speech, a thought line of thoughts, you know, or a perception, uh, thoughts, and a view of things, basically. Um, it has that perspective. So, in other words, we are speaking of the thoughts of God, the mind of God, uh, God's view of things, yeah, the divine view of things, basically. So, that makes it um, at the first branch. That is the first logos that we are looking at. And the Bible is the mind of God. You, you see that? It is basically the thoughts of God put down on paper. Now that becomes logos. So when we speak of the word of God, we are speaking of the mind of God. Now if you handle it that way, you're going to handle it with more reverence 
um, as compared to what we do right from our childhood. You simply think it's a good thing to as read the word and you want to um, probably imagine that maybe the Bible is uh, just like any other book. It's not just a book. This contains the mind of God. I don't want to just call it thoughts. Why? Because uh, someone could get to think that this is relative. It is absolute. It is an absolute. You don't have anything that you want to compare to the word of God rightly, that you may compare to the word of God. You can't. It is absolute. It is the truth. You know, um, it is premised. The truth is premised on the word of God. It is a standard by which you're going to judge other things. So when I say the thoughts, it doesn't mean that therefore you embrace other thoughts. Yeah. With the word of God, this objectivity doesn't work. It is subjectivity that works here. Friends, we either take it or leave it. God doesn't have anything called democracy, not at all. God has what we call a theocracy. It is his position that has gotten to work even when he permitted his leadership to come to men. But you know that even when that came, he cautioned the people in those days about what kings would do. So, Logos as the written word. Secondly, we look at Logos as Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, the second uh, branch of Logos speaks of Jesus, the man, the divine embodiment of God in human flesh. You see that? We are going to look at that in John chapter 1 when the point comes. I'm simply doing an introduction right now. Um, Why does it come out as a, a person now? Um, in Greek philosophy, um, in those days, there was, you know, uh, a, person, a personification of um, deity, like um, the, 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 the Greek um, philosophers looked at um, um, the divine meeting the physical, you see, or the divine getting manifested in the physical. They had a mind that kind of uh, was trying to uh, look at that, but not perceiving it in totality as it should be. So John built on what they knew. It is a principle of teaching uh, the known to the unknown. Uh, that is what he was doing. And then lastly, the word of God is also presented as Rema. Rema is nothing other than the spoken word. Is nothing other than the spoken word, but also has a perspective of um. The, the, the Holy Spirit speaking, but we are going to be looking at that and uh, cautioning, making a very important caution there about uh, safeguards that you've needed to exercise, especially when uh, you are apportioning uh, Rema. Okay, one, the word of God as Logos. Uh, one, uh, written the, the, word, the written word of God as Logos. Friends, when we speak of the written word of God as Logos, we basically are speaking of the mind of God as was handed down over the years to prophets, kings, and lots of people that received the word of God and they penned it down for us. Now, um, I, I, I've deliberately chosen uh, to deal with the simplest uh, scripture that explains that the word of God uh, came from God and was written by men. Uh, Second Timothy, as you know it, uh, chapter 3. Verse 16 would do us uh, good as far as explaining this is concerned. Uh, let me just read that verbatim. It is going to make sense here. Uh, I could take it from verse 15. It says, And uh, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads the sacred writings. You hear that? 
um, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads uh, to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training yeah, in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work so you can see that every scripture is inspired by god and uh, he's also saying it is a sacred writing and also gives us a purpose for which it was given correction reproof and um all these um attributes that the scripture uh, that scripture has got in our lives now what we realize there is that we not you know wish scripture into being no uh, this is what God purposed that he would reveal unto man. How did he do it? Uh, if you go to um, Peter, Peter tells you that a God working through men, he, he inspired them into writing the Bible. You see that? So in other words, um, when you're studying the Bible, we should study it with reverence. You see that? <clears throat> because this is the mind of God that has been put down on paper. And um, when you study that, you're studying the mind of God. And it has power. When you go to Hebrews, still, we see that Logos uh, there um, is uh, that powerful. It is active. It is living, you know, dividing even the soul and the, the spirit. And uh, you see uh, the bone marrow. Let me just read it verbatim in a, um, a Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. Uh, he says that um, he says that the word of God... Uh, for the word of God is living, one, and active, two, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as uh, the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you see, it is active, it is living, it is powerful, and it, it works in someone's life now. The biggest problem that we have is that we don't accord scripture the priority that it should have, one, the consistency with which we should study it, two, the attention that it needs, three, and we don't um, attribute the power that it deserves um, to, to it. We don't. You find that many of us, when we are studying scripture, we take it as a good practice. It's a good custom. It is something that we've done from childhood. And therefore, we go right ahead and, you know, someone studies scripture. They don't even study. Oftentimes, we simply read and someone goes. I've told you before that when you're studying scripture, it should actually be one reading, yeah, which is more of scrutineering. You're running through a road like uh, what these rally drivers do to see where, where is the portal, sharp bends and stuff like that. You're looking at all these meaning markers. You're looking at the keywords. You're looking at the measurements. You're looking at all those things that we use to interpret scripture. You're looking at the major themes. You're looking at the divisions. And then you come back and study. Initially, you're a tractor that plows, you see? And then the next time you are, following <laughs> you you you're beating down the crumbs and yeah you, you see you understand that that is the second time that is what study does you look for scripture interpreting scripture verses that interpret verses you know uh, you you you're getting the context you're getting the background you 
studying concordances, you're seeing what others have written about this, and you're submitting to the Holy Spirit to draw meaning out of this. Friends, as a matter of essence and principle, that is how they study scripture. You know, you can't depend on others, neither can you depend on simply a mere quick, fast reading. Three, you have gotten to memorize it. Four, you've gotten to meditate upon it and five, apply it in your life. Those are principles that we've spoken about before. I simply needed to reaffirm them. You, you get that, my friend. But for most of us, it is simply a quick chap chap beeping eh, style. Uh, or you just do one verse, two, three, four, five, even if it is a, 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 a chapter. And off you go into office, into the factory, into your farm, and you're not reckoning what you studied in the morning. It will never make sense. We are saying this is the mind of God. It is the mind of God. Many of us want to relate with uh, great men. Maybe you want to go and speak to Joe Biden, the president of the U.S. You want to speak to the Kabaka of Uganda. You want to speak to the president of Uganda. But let me tell you, yes, these are men of influence, but should I tell you what? They are physical, and that means they have an expiry date somewhere. They're going to expire someday, and they will be disposed of. You understand what I mean? You see that? Actually, a psalm warns and says it is good to trust in the Lord than to trust in princesses and princes. Why? Because someday is going to come and they shall bury them. I mean, where is Hitler? Where is Mussolini? Where is Napoleon? And these were great men. Where are they today? We want to be close to them, to hear from them. Probably they control resources. But friend, look, we have God. Oh, we have God, the creator of the universe, a man that lived before the universe. And thereafter, in Revelation 1.8, it says in the Alpha and Omega, for us in the Greek alphabet, Alpha is the first letter and Omega is the last one. So in other words, he tells you, I was there before anything else. And therefore, the beginning is in me and the end is in me. <laughs> <laughs> you see, but the attention that we give to him, a man of that nature, and he has put down not just his thoughts, but his mind. He has put it down for us. Oh, God, forgive us because we don't give you the sort of attention that you deserve in our lives. You see that? That is the problem that, that we have. So when you're studying the word, you're studying logos, you're studying the mind of God, what God says about things and they should be absolute they should be imperative you know the, the problem is that he's so loving he doesn't make uh, like he doesn't say uh, i mean he leaves us a personal will to decide like we see in the deuteronomy 30 uh, 15 onwards he says i put life and death and the blessing and a curse before you therefore choose life he gives you uh, the ability to exercise your personal will power but otherwise it shouldn't have been so you see that? So this is the problem. The word of God as written, Logos is the mind of God. It should give you life. It should really give you life, my dear friend. You see, if you um, uphold it, <clears throat> uh, this is what it is. Uh, it, th this is what it is. I, when I was a young man, I studied uh, just like many of you uh, that have been raised in um, from in Christian backgrounds that have Christian backgrounds. We studied the word in the evening. We studied it in the morning. I, you see, sometimes even at noon. But uh, this is something that we uh, we got accustomed to, and you simply go through the motions. And the setup of our home was that um, at, at dinner, you actually had to do the word first and prayers, and then you could have your dinner. So <laughs> even when I didn't really want to 
pray and go into the word. I had to go after all I really wanted to eat. So that is the problem. So I had an early problem in my life that I knew quite some scriptures, but they were in the head and never in my heart. And that is quite dangerous. It really is. So when people came to preach, say at school, I knew they would do a little bit of John 3.16. I knew they would do a little bit of, um, <laughs> you know, Romans 3.23, uh, Romans 6.23. And true to it, they exactly did it. And friends, teachers of the word, this is why we must divide the whole counsel of God with truth. Don't just preach, don't just preach from John, from Luke. Do Zechariah, do Obadiah also, do Zephaniah, because the Bible says the whole counsel of God. You see that? So I, I, I anticipated and they did it. And then if I thought I was okay, and yet I simply was parroting the word of God. And just like the devil, the devil knows the word of God. He knows it, you see, but he does not shudder for it. Like, like the demons, they know that Jesus is Lord, but they don't submit to him. That's where the problem is. Friends, let us accord the word of God, the sort of attention that it, deserve, it deserves. So that is one. Secondly, we behold uh, Jesus Christ as Logos. We behold Christ Jesus as Logos. And um, one of the most important scriptures uh, to easily elucidate this is John uh, chapter 1 is John chapter 1. You're going to realize that here he speaks of the word not just as word written or spoken, but as a person, as a person. Let us just read it. John 1, 1 says, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So you see there, it ceases to be just a spoken word, just a thought, just, you know, a written word. It is more than a person, you know, it's more than a person. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Friends, this is not just a word as written down. It's not just a thought. It is a person. You see, this is what um, the writer wants us to behold there. Now, I started by saying that... Uh, uh, the word logos is a greek word and why does john use that word in my early days when i was still learning scripture and uh, true to it i'm still learning up to today you cannot just go to the depth to the bottom of the, of the depth of the word of god you just can't no one can um but um initially it disturbed me i said why has john gotten to complicate this why, why doesn't he say that jesus was there in the beginning until i studied biblical hermeneutics um, that that is a complicated word for no reason. It simply means biblical interpretation. <laughs> but you know they make sense when you speak them the way they are, especially for theologians. <clears throat> they really make sense. Like a doctor will call a sickness its own sickness. You get it? We don't want to complicate it for you for no reason. Um, when I learned um, biblical hermeneutics uh, or interpretation, I learned that scripture is written in a context. It has a background. It has a time in which it was written. It targets particular people. Now, why does John use the word here? He uses it in line with Greek philosophy. The, um, the major language of dominancy at the time of John's writing was Greek. And therefore, John is a preacher of the word, and he wants people to believe Jesus Christ and be saved and not go to hell, and also be reconciled with the Father and at that 
get to be fulfilled uh, because that is where life was. And uh, John states this purpose in John uh, 20 and 30. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written, um, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see that? Now, he could not simply start and telling them Jesus is the Christ and is the source of life. He starts from the known to the unknown. That is his intention for writing. But the, 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 uh, the, the Greeks, like the Jews, had an idea of deity, a faint one, that could not exactly get to Christ. What were they thinking? What was the thought line of the day? <clears throat> then um, the Greeks, uh, in Greek philosophy, which was the language of the New Testament, in other words, which people um, would easily understand all over the known world in those days, they knew that uh, there was uh, that, that the word was the means of ex of expression of deity into the physical of the. Um, the unseen into the seen. And in one way or the other, it was the expression of the mind of God. They knew that. But John starts from where they are and builds on to it because he goes beyond what they knew. This is why he says, uh, in the beginning was the word. He's telling them that what I'm telling you is eternal. You see that? And he says, the word was with God. He says, he's in fellowship with God. He himself, next is what? God. Wow. You see that? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing was made. Meaning, he's, he's, he's God and his creator. He has authority over your lives. When he comes and sits in there, he can change things. He has absolute power. He stands above each and everything. And above all, he says that um, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So, in other words, this cannot just be a mere word. So, what he's pointing to is, he is Christ. When you go to verse 14 of John of John 1, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, you can see that he's referring to the word being who? Jesus Christ. You see that? In other words, the word is not just the written word, but the word is also Christ. So what do we mean here? Um, when we are speaking of the word of God, you're not only going to desire for the written word, but you're desiring Christ. You're yearning for Christ. And Christ cannot be separated from his word. In other words, there is a connection between the written word and Christ himself. When he's testifying uh, to, to these men in John 5, uh, 39, when he's testifying to these men that we are simply studying scripture and they did not want to believe him, he makes it very clear. In John 5, 39, uh, the Lord himself goes right ahead and he says that, um, um, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you've eternal life. It is this that testify about me. In other words, he says, when you study the scripture, you're getting my testimony. You're, you're, you're getting to understand me. In other words, he can come and sit in your life. You understand who he is. You perceive him. You get life in your spirit. You're complete by him coming and reigning in your life. By understanding him through scripture, he comes thus forth and faith.
You, you, you see that? Now, you've gotten to understand this. When we study scripture lightly, we miss out. And when we don't have faith in Christ, we miss out. Why? Because that is the means and the only means by which Christ, uh, uh, as Logos, will come and abide with man. And friends, he says he's the source of life. This is why many of us complain. I don't understand myself. I don't know what is happening. But you don't have the source of life because we see Christ as Logos, as the source of life here. We see him as creator. We see him as God. There are many things that simply get sorted when Christ comes and takes control. I'm not suggesting here that you're not going to find problems or challenges. You'll get them. But what are we saying here? Him as God abiding in your life changes things and transforms so many things. You see that, my dear friend? This is how it works. This is how it works. God in his glory abides in Christ and in his majesty. This is what you need. He tells you do not get married to that man. Why? Because he's operating in your life, you know, uh, through the principles uh, written and your fellowship with him. If you go ahead, you're going to get problems. You see? And our life is actually in him. I don't have a father way of explaining it. And the father way would be experiencing it. You need to live in it. But uh, Paul winds this up very beautifully. In Colossians 1, 9, in 19, he shows you that Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of deity or the full embodiment of God. There are many people that say, God, I want to be close to you. There are songs we, we sing eh? and we're like, Kumpi nawe. You see, but when you have Christ, you actually have God, the fullness of God. Like you told Philip in, in John 14, 9, that you've seen me and you still ask that you want to see the Father. Don't you know that he who has seen me has seen the Father? You see that? We shall uh, learn that in uh, um, our subsequent um, the series about the word. In Colossians uh, 1, let me take it from 18 to 19, he says uh, that uh, he is also um, head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that um, he himself will come to have a first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of Eh? Listen to that. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. You see, in other words, the fullness of God dwells in Christ. Now listen to this. When you have Christ in you, that means <laughs> that you have the fullness of God. Oh God, this can easily generate good pimples on my skin right now. And yet you find many of us living so empty lives. You see, complaining about this, complaining about the other. I don't have this, I don't have the other. When you have the fullness of deity in you, oh God, have mercy upon us. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't work, we shouldn't get money. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't work and have good stuff. That is okay. But the moment you make a mistake of casting your entire hope and everything upon things that are external to who you are, then you're going to live a very empty life. This is where you see people competing for things. You see people fighting for this and fighting for the other. And you see people, you know, quarreling and fighting. There's a, there's a person that sent me a very bad message. A person that we've tried to help. And, uh, you know, God has taught me over the years and he's taught me how to fight these battles. But you know what? I'm still human. I got to a point and I said, but you know what? Uh, today, let me, just, let me just give this guy a piece of... <laughs> a piece of my mind. And all of a sudden, God came and told me, well, what about me? You remember what they did about me? What they said about me? The dirty stuff that they said about me? I, and I still told 
my father to forgive them. David, you shouldn't do that. And I was quelled down. And my anger was quenched within me. You see that? And actually that makes me cross over to my last, uh, you know, um, dimension of uh, the word of God. That is Rema. What I've just mentioned there actually is Rema. Rema is nothing but the spoken word of God. Lastly, it is nothing but the spoken word of God. You remember Christ in Matthew 4, 4, he told the devil that man shall not live by, thank you very much, the, by food alone, but by every word that comes or proceeds from the mouth of God. That is Rema. In other words, Rema is Logos spoken. Rema is the written word spoken or Rema is Jesus Christ who is Logos speaking. And how is Christ going to speak? He's going to speak through his word. He's going to speak through the Holy Spirit and many other ways. But I'm going to sound a very powerful question here. There are many people that could be following their own thoughts and the thoughts of their pastors and they want to claim that is Rema. Let me first qualify it here. When you go to Luke 138, you're going to hear Mary speak and says, Be it unto me according to your word. Yeah, be it unto me according to your word. She is speaking Rema. She, she has she has Logos speaking to her because she goes back and uh, reads the word and sees that it is written that a virgin shall be with child. And when that word speaks to her, that is Rema. <laughs> you see that? That is Rema. Logos is speaking. That is Rema. The spoken word. Now, like Mary is speaking, that becomes Rema. In Luke 5.5, 5, when Jesus told Peter to cast yonder or to cast into the deeper waters so he can uh, draw forth fish, uh, when uh, when Peter said, my Lord, we, 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 we traveled all through the night that, and we didn't, were not able to catch any fish. But since you say so, by your word, I shall cast you under. That is Rema. It is his word spoken. You get that, my dear friend? It is his word spoken. Today, Rema continues in our lives. When God was speaking to um, Matthew, uh, no, when, when God was speaking to Paul in uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 16, it is a very good verse to explain this. He says, I have appeared to you in the words that you've heard to me and in the ways I shall continue to appear to you. That, that particular reference is a reference to Rema. God is not dead. And since God is not dead, he cannot simply be silent in our lives. Therefore, God continues to speak. You see that? But we need to be very careful. God cannot speak against Logos. If you want to tell whether you're receiving Rema, Rema cannot go against Logos. It is impossible. Logos is the premise by which we judge and test Rema. <laughs> you see? These diamond dealers and uh, Hebrews, many of them are into this um, business of diamonds. But... Uh, they are experts. They have machines and they have tests that they are going to administer unto a diamond that has been brought to them to find out if it is real, if it is genuine. You see? Now, you cannot have Rema until it is tested upon Logos. You understand that? There are many people that have spoken today, especially as pastors. Some pastors are misleading people. That says the Lord. You know, bring uh, this amount of money, 10 million, 30 million. If you bring that, you're going to be blessed and that kind of thing. I hear him speak. Someone is getting blessed. That is not Rema. Many believers are taking the word of their pastors in place of the word of God. 
friend, even me, test me, everything that I'm teaching here, test it against Logos, test it against Logos. You see, this is what the Bereans did in Acts 17, I think verse 1, 10 onwards. They tested Paul. If these were a serious lot of people, if you can get uh, the audacity of testing what Paul is teaching, that shows you the seriousness that we must have as believers. But many of us in our generation are very lazy. You know, whatever the pastor says, you simply take it wholesale. They are voices that people are taking as rema, and sometimes these are their choices. For example, I get a disagreement with my wife, and then I hear a voice saying that you go and marry your secretary. You see, after all, she looks like she won't give you trouble. That I had a voice. Yes, you had a voice, but what voice have you had? <laughs> yes, it was a voice. We agree. It was a voice. But from who? Because Rema cannot go against Logos. The Spirit of God cannot go against the Word of God. Jesus says in John 16, 13, that when uh, the, the, the Spirit of truth comes, he shall speak unto you. He, he shall uh, show you whatever you need to follow. But he will not speak on his own, but he will speak of me. You see? That is what he says there. Friends, there are many people that have gotten into problems because of thinking they have beheld Rema. Test it upon the Word of God, upon Logos. Test it upon Logos. Some of you think we are hearing the Lord speak right now. If he says anything against the written word, then that is not God speaking. May the Lord bless you. And I pray that the Lord will heal your wounds if you've been, you know, in one way or the other, wounded and hurt, thinking you had had Rema while it wasn't. Joining the wrong church and you thought you had heard the voice of God. But the things that they do are against Logos. As written, it cannot be the word of God. May the Lord heal your wounds. For some of you that have been wounded uh, by getting involved with the wrong person because he came and told you, you know what? I had a dream and I had a vision about you and I know you're, you're my wife. And you're somehow prompted within you to believe that this guy is genuine. And then he has hurt you and wounded you and you discover he's not even a believer. He has so many wives. That could not have been God. May the Lord heal you. And you get back on the track, the right track. Father, help us uh, to discern your truth and help us to follow you through and through every single day. Lord, counting on the word of God and fasting for you as a dear panthers for the waters in the desert. We bless you. May you bless my friends. Bless me too. And help us, Lord, to focus on your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you.